Welcome to Photographers Talking, the podcast that brings you some of the most innovative and respected photographers in the business. We'll find out what goes on behind the camera and why it's every bit as interesting as the images you see. I'm Chris McNulty. I've been a photographer and picture editor for over 20 years and I'll introduce you to the people who make photography the most interesting and dynamic media in the world today. It's going to take seven people to keep one person alive tonight. That's, that's, the, that's the degree of care one patient needs. This week, Christopher Bobbin talks about his photo documentary in a COVID-19 intensive care unit. While we were all been told to stay home, save lives and protect the NHS, Christopher was on a 12-hour night shift with the doctors and nurses on the front line battle against the deadly virus. You'll find links to his work on social media in the description of this podcast. I began by asking him how the ICU access came about in the first place. That came about uh, through a, fe- a series of false starts, actually. Um, so uh, my, my work with the BBC is as a camera journalist, which is typically working in, in television. Um, and I had made repeated requests to several hospitals around Scotland to try to get access to the ICUs to see the frontline uh, medical staff at work, thinking moving images for television. So I was, I was intending to shoot video initially, and that was just a non-starter. I was just being told no before I could even really pitch my approach or what, what the report would look like. You're not the only person who was finding that. Everyone else I've been speaking to was, was coming up against the same thing. It was a brick wall, wasn't it? There was, it was just yeah. no before the conversation even started. And that, that is literally the case. I would pick up the phone you know, introduce myself and say I was with the BBC and was literally just told, I'll stop you right there. There's no access. You know, there's no point in even going on because we can tell you right now you're not going to be seeing anything. So, um, which is fair enough. I mean, this was, this was, you know, I was having those conversations, uh, in late March through to mid April, giving access to the media to be up close in ICUs was was not the priority at the time. And so I could understand why, but purely having my my journalist's hat on, it was quite frustrating. And I had to either resign myself to just being denied any access or try to come up with a way to get the press teams at the NHS intrigued. So what I decided to do was change tack and lean back into my photography background and approach them with a unique request and the idea was really just to get my foot in the door and just have them stay on the phone for more than 30 seconds with me in the hopes of getting their attention. So the way I did that was I pitched them the idea which was I'm not going to be filming for television with a large video camera and certainly not with a large team. I'm going to be coming in alone to create a photo essay in black and white on film. That did get their attention, and without exception, every press team I spoke to then suddenly had a few minutes to speak to me, uh, because they hadn't heard anything like that. So that did the job of at least keeping some press officers on the phone for more than 30 seconds. And once that, once I had my foot in the door, then I could slowly begin to describe what the project would look like, and that project was that I was going to not just produce a relatively conventional photo essay online with... Uh, you know, with stills and captions and text, but uh, also do a video slideshow produced from the still images combined with some audio that I re- would record uh, in the hospital as well. Uh, so that did get initially some positive feedback from the press officers. And in, and in the end, one press office from Herr Meyer's Hospital near Glasgow did agree that this was an approach that could work because it would minimize my footprint 
in the ICU and would, you know, wouldn't be too intrusive um, in terms of the what was required technically from a production standpoint. So, um, so that had me off and running, and and you know I I, I pitched this as that I would be sort of a just a, a, a one man band. You know I wouldn't need anyone else with me, and so that's that's what got me in the door. And then I, I pushed a bit further once I, I knew I was going to have some access. I asked if I could spend a night with a night shift. And indeed, they said, well, if you, if you want to come for a few hours, I said, no, I want to come for 12 or 14 hours. I want to do the whole shift uh, from dusk till dawn. They, they, they allowed me to do that. You've been trying really hard to get this, this access. And when they say, yes, you can come along, there's not as much known about the virus and how it's transmitted and you know, it all seems very scary at that time. Did you have a pullback moment where you sort of said, well, going into the, the lion's den here? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the night I arrived, actually, that's not quite true. Even before that, so there was a process to get entry into the ICU, and it actually started the night before the actual assignment because I had to go and get my mask fitted, which was a process I didn't know that doctors and nurses were going through. So I spent about an hour at the, at the hospital, um, the night before I, I was in the ICU, um, getting fitted with a, with a proper mask and going through a bunch of tests to make sure that right, yeah. I wasn't, I, I, that no air was coming through. And that, and that process, so basically that was, I had to put a big hood on and test a variety of different sizes of masks and, okay. And they would pump in into this hood, this almost like this big, um, you know, sort of turn of the century diving, you know, apparatus that goes over yeah, your head. Yeah. And yeah. you're testing okay. different masks underneath and they're pumping in this really acrid gas that smells bad. Mm -hmm. And so if you can smell it, you know, your mask isn't fitting. I, I normally have a beard and they made me shave on the spot as well because the, my facial hair wouldn't let it fit. And so strangely, of all the things that made me kind of realize, ooh, this is, this is this is serious. This is the real deal. Um, was actually when I was shaving and when they handed me in the hospital the night before a razor and the nurse just said, if you want in, you're going to have to shave. And it was of all things that was when I realized, okay, this is, um, this is serious. Um, and, and they, because they're taking it so seriously, they're not taking any chances. Yeah. By the time I arrived 24 hours later at around 6 p.m. to meet with the team that I was going to embed with for for the rest of the night. I was ready for for how serious it was going to be because that, that as I say, strangely enough, that shaving had really left a, an impression on me. That initial meeting I had with the team that I, the, the wonderful team that I then spent 14 hours with was spent for the most, for, for the first sort of 45 minutes just walking me through what I was going to see in in their in their kitchen just saying, okay, okay here, here's the plan. Um, you're, you're going to, and it was, they were extremely pleasant and I think quite, uh, enthusiastic to have me there, to be honest. Okay. Especially the lead, the lead doctor for the night. He, he understood the importance of having me there and made it clear to me that he wanted people to see not what okay. they were doing necessarily, but what the effects of the virus was on the human body. Um, he was to, again, purely with my journalist's hat on, to my delight, he was keen to get me as close as possible to okay. their work and to the patients. There's two things that come come up there uh, to my mind. Mm -hmm. The way that you get the interest of the NHS is mm -hmm. to change your sales pitch, mm -hmm. is to get that foot in the door, is to keep them listening. I, I, I think that's really interesting that the, <laughs> it wasn't as if they were not in, 
open to any idea. They just mm-hmm. had to be open to the right idea and the mm-hmm. idea pitched in a certain way. And it's interesting as well, isn't it, that where you ended up going, we're not the only people who were interested in a different tact. Yeah, it, there was no question that I think it, it was just about finding the right approach. Um, so again, you know, it's, I don't think it was a question that there was a media blackout, and I, I certainly wouldn't want that, it to sound that way. It yeah. was just a question of, you know, we can't have you guys in with us right now. Um, and okay. this, this is a time of national crisis. And, and we, when we ourselves are, are, are trying to figure out how to react to this, um, both, both in terms of logistically as, as the NHS, as this huge organization, but also medically, scientifically in the room, uh, as medical practitioners. You know, having a journalist next next to you at the time is just—it's not—it's not appropriate. Uh, that, that's maybe a good time to move on to actually speak about the, the images that you produced. Mm-hmm. There is one part in the, the photo montage towards the end where there is a doctor speaking. I don't know if it's the same lead doctor that you were speaking about there. Mm-hmm. The oxygen's of levels are very low in this person, mm-hmm. and the only thing that we can really do for him is to turn them onto his front. You know, we've mm-hmm. got all this technology and. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is turn them on. All we can do is turn them on to, to his yeah. front. You see it happening in stages. There's an awful lot of care given. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of support for this person who's unconscious. And mm-hmm. that really comes across. That that particular patient had been, his, um, his vitals had been um, declining, waning throughout the night. Basically, there came a point where uh, they, they said, you know, if we don't do anything, he's, he's going to die. And okay. he he won't survive the night. So you become aware that this this event's going to happen, mm-hmm. which isn't always the case in photojournalism, isn't it? Sometimes things just happen. Right. Is, is there a shout given out mm-hmm. to get as many staff round about, and did, mm-hmm. did people start coming from all different areas to help? Yeah, you're, aware, you're obviously aware of it happening. It was interesting to watch the the really sort of methodical, calm process, and that's one thing I have to emphasize that was throughout the night was no matter what that team was doing, how calm they were and how collected they okay. were. It really was amazing to see them. I would say in their element um, and to see how their training was just kicking in. They were just so smooth and calm and also compassionate at the same time. It was really amazing to see. So, and, and, I, and I say that because in that moment, they were moving quickly, but very methodically. And that was amazing to see. There was no sudden alarm, although alarms were going off and you hear that, you hear them in the, in the piece, yeah. you hear the, the machines going off. But as far as the staff was concerned, they knew exactly what to do. And it was a well-oiled machine that was kicking in. So when the word went out, when, when that lead doctor made the, made the call, we're going, we're going to prone him. We're going to turn this patient over. It was just very calmly, the team of, I think it was about six, six to eight people just gathered yeah, around, right, yeah. the, around the one bed. And, and, and actually a comment that was also made to me from, from that same doctor was, you know, it, it's going to take seven people to keep one person alive tonight. That's, that's the, that's the degree of care one patient needs, you know, six to seven people to keep one person alive. That's where we're at right now. In these images where this person's being moved, mm-hmm. you're you're right in there, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. probably with a sort of twenty four mil lens, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are you aware every time the shutter clicks? Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. you are you just taking the pictures? Are you in the moment? Yeah. Well, you're definitely in the moment, and you know how that is. And and yeah. and as you said earlier, the one the one thing that I did have because they were so methodical, and I could see their process unfolding. 
you know, th there was a plan in place. And so that let me get into position. And so uh, this wasn't just, you know, turning and seeing something quickly, although there were images I took that night like that. But in this particular yeah. moment, I knew what was about to happen because it was told to me by then the lead doctor was really good. He said, here's what we're going to do. Here's where you cannot be. So you can position yourself anywhere else, but I don't want to see you here. I don't want to see you to our sides in case we have to move back quickly. So it was clear to me the foot of the bed was the place to be. The foot of the bed is going to be the best place that's, to get the pictures as well. Luckily. Exactly. Exactly. So it yeah. just worked out well that that's, that's basically where they wanted me and that's where I wanted to be. So um, the actual turning was uh, the proning of the patient was probably about a 30 to 45 second process. And I think in that okay. montage, you see that I, I fire off, you know, about... I think three or four images. I probably actually fired off about 10. And I, and I was shooting, I was, so I was shooting on a Leica M6 and I was shooting with, uh, it was indeed, no, it was a 35 millimeter, uh, that I had on for that. Right. One. Okay. So I had, uh, at any given time, I had actually three cameras on me because I knew that once I was in the ICU, I couldn't, I couldn't go out again quickly. So I had to have no. three cameras with me to have, so I could keep shooting because I was on film. Yeah. So I had to be able to be shooting all the time. So I was always had three, three cameras on me. So I just positioned myself at the end of the bed and just snapped away um, and just got that whole sequence of, of, of them turning the patient over. And yeah. you can see in the lead doctor's eyes at the end of the bed, you know, his, his eyes are wide open. I mean, he is, he is on, uh, you know, this is, yeah. you know, that he, this is the most crucial moment of the night for him as it is for all of the staff. And, um, you know, he's not even blinking, uh, in any of those photos. And, uh, he is just keeping track of a dozen different cables, you know, six or seven sets of hands, making sure that everything and making sure that the ventilator stays in place. Um, you know, it's quite a process to see, you know, a relatively simple thing, turn, turn a man over onto his stomach. Um, it took a lot of manpower and a lot of care and it had to be done quickly as well. So the flip side of that, which, which is a really lovely moment as well, is where you speak to the, the lady who's in bed, who's recovering from coronavirus mm -hmm. and, and very touchingly, she says, uh, she wants to see her grandson who's about to be born. How important was that for you to have someone to, yeah. or a contrast? In yeah. That? Yeah, I, I think that, that you, that's exactly the right word. It was this contrast. There was this sort of this hope um, at the end of the night. And that actually, in, in terms of the sequence of events, that really was the end of the night. That was, you know, the sun was okay. coming up at that point and it was dawn. Again, that, that lead doctor, uh, Austin Rattray, he took me, he said, you know, uh, there is a patient who's recovering and if she agrees, you know, I'd like you to speak to her and I want you to meet her. And she was their one success story. You know, there... The, he was really? really proud to have me speak to her because he, you know, that team needed some good yeah. news. Keep in mind, it wasn't just that, you know, good news for that night. They had been going for about six weeks at this point and things were not getting better. It was getting worse. Okay. You know, they, they, were, they were just seeing more and more people come in at when those photos were taken, when that night I spent with them. So they hadn't really turned the corner yet. And so he, he was really keen to have me speak with her and meet her. And, and she was, uh, you know, uh, happily very keen to, to speak with me and, yeah. and have me, um, you know, take her portrait. And, um, and that was really, uh, I think a really emotional moment, um, because we just spent 12 hours, um, watching people, you know, really on, on the edge of death. And, and, and that night, you know, that I was there, no one did pass.
but that that wasn't the case for that team. They had experienced a lot of death. Yeah. And so to be able to speak with her and have her say that, you know, that story that she she was going to fight, she you know, she yeah. she wanted to meet her grandson. It was just um really beautiful and kind of crushing yeah, as well, you know, in a way, just so it really drove home the, you know, how lethal this virus is and how debilitating it is. That's a real goosebump moment in the in the montage. Mm. And at the package the way it's presented, it's the first time you really hear someone speak in a positive way. It's lovely to have a success mm-hmm. story in there. But the other sort of major part of the this documentary that you've put together is the staff. The one that I remember being having an impact at the time was mm-hmm. it Kathy? And she's she's still got the marks from the mask. Yeah. Yeah, on her face, right. which yeah, and that that really tells its own story because they're really deeply ingrained in her face, aren't they? Though yeah, yeah. The the doctor you're speaking about, she she kind of hesitated to have her portrait taken because she what she didn't want is she didn't want to be celebrated. Um, okay. And I thought that really spoke to uh, their character that they they were just this you know it was their job and they were going to rise to the occasion. And they were proud. There's no question. I think they're very proud of the work they were doing. And there's no doubt that, you know, it's fair to be proud of the NHS, uh, you know, at this time. And so there's a series of portraits at the end of that piece. And they were, of course, happy to have their, their portraits taken. But there was, I think, a real concern that I was going to, you know, pump them up into superheroes. And they, they were really yeah. reluctant. And they, that was their fear. They didn't want that. And I think that just speaks so much to, to their professionalism and, and their attitude to what they were doing. And ironically, might even make them more heroic, actually, in the end. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by papercamera.co.uk. Visit the website for all the other podcasts in this series, plus show notes and much more. While you're there, check out the Matchbox Camera, a pinhole camera made from a single sheet of A4 paper. Back to our interview with Christopher. I'm going to pull back a little bit from the shooting experience, if, mm-hmm. if we can. Let's say that you've finished the documentary, you're... Uh, do you finish when everyone else is going off shift? Is that how it worked? That evening, yes, yeah. So they, yeah, so they, yeah. they, they went home uh, to sleep through the day, and that's exactly yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. So, yeah, exactly. yeah. So you walk out the door, and you've got how many rolls of film do you have? I think I shot about seven rolls of film, and I also had a digital camera as backup just okay. to be safe. Um, yeah. And there are a few digital images, uh, you know, uh, in in that piece. Um, there's yeah. one image of uh, a patient being lifted. As is he sort of regains consciousness, he'd just been taken off a okay. ventilator, and that that is uh, you know one of I think you know five or six digital images in that piece. Okay, the rest right. is analog. So, but anyway, they, yeah. So seven rolls of thirty six shots that uh, were, so were shot that night. Yeah, it's not quite as terrifying as having it all in your pocket on the way home. <laughs> um, and anyone who shot film before will know that that terror <laughs> mm-hmm. as you keep on counting the rolls when you go home. Uh, <laughs> Well, you're not sure if you maybe left one sitting somewhere. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely that that anxiety that comes with shooting on film, and you know whether you, you've you've dropped a roll somewhere or you've, yeah. or or you didn't load it right, or that's the yeah. one moment where you know the camera breaks and you're not aware of it, and lights coming in, yeah. and there's all all these things, <laughs> and and so um, all the more reason I had three cameras on my shoulder at any given time. But yeah, it was it was you know there, it was a bit nerve wracking and. I just, I remember the, the feeling as I was driving home was I knew that I had seen something pretty unique, especially at that time. I think in, yeah. you know, mid, mid April 2020, not many people had seen that 
not many, you know, and by people, I mean, you know, not many audiences had, had seen, yeah. had seen an ICU operating like that. So I sort of knew that, you know, I had, I had something good, assuming that, you know, the film had been exposed. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, uh, and then, and then, but then the, the remaining challenge on my mind was, okay, now I got to develop this. And I've got to yeah. develop this at home because obviously all the labs were closed. And I do develop my own film, you know, at home, but it's different yeah. when you're shooting it, you know, more for fun because professionally I would do a mix of, always do a mix of digital and, and analog. But this time it was really a clutch, you know, you've got to get, the, you've got to get the chemicals right. You've got to get the timing right. Yeah. There's no, you know, and, and so, and just having to do it, uh, actually, and to be clear, I hadn't been living in Edinburgh and in this flat very long, so I didn't really have a setup. So I was doing this in my bathroom, in the bathtub, yeah. you know, knowing that I can't get this wrong and knowing that there's no other option. I can't go to a lab, you know, to play it safe because they're all closed. Yeah. It's full lockdown. So, so how, do you, um, how do you do it? Do you do three films at a time or one at a time? Are you two, super cautious? Well, so I did one, I, I did a test roll I did, just to make sure I was getting my, my math right on the, on the chemicals yeah. and the timing. I did one roll first, just one alone and that, and I could see, okay, I've got negatives, you know, well exposed yeah. on everything. Mm-hmm. At least one roll is going to work out fine. And then I, and then I did the, the rest in, in um, batches of two. So that was the process behind that. And then, and I, then I had to unpack, you know, I had a scanner and all of that, but n- again, none of this was unpacked. So I'm having to kind of yeah. rebuild my sort of my whole film lab ad hoc spur of the moment. On the other hand, it's not like I had much else to do because it was lockdown. So <laughs> it was a good project to have to pass the time. And, uh, so I just kind of converted my kitchen and living room into, you know, to just spread out and get all my negatives processed as I needed to. The other thing hanging over me over all this is not just the, the sort of the technical aspect. There's a timing aspect because this is for the news. So, right, you know, course, I, yeah. I can't take my time. You know, this is, like, yeah. I've got to get this out. I've got to get these film, this film developed, processed, you know, so that I can work with it digitally and then, and then on the news. Uh, you know, I've got I've got an editor waiting for something. Do they want it that night or for the no, next? No, 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 no. Thankfully, I had timed it so that I I did a a Friday shift. Sorry, a Thursday night. Well, Thursday going into Friday shift. So okay. Friday morning. So I had the weekend. Sort of quite bleary eyed. You know, I was working through the weekend um, because you're almost yeah. jet lagged. You know, I was up for almost Absolutely, twenty. Yeah. Like you know. 24, over 24 hours in the end. So kind of working with this sense of jet lag through the weekend to not just develop the film, which I felt was almost like accomplishment enough. No, I've got to now like do, get a report out of this as well. So, um, and in several different mediums, you know, it's not sending photos in with text and an article, but then, but then putting together a a video piece as well, um, out of it. So, and that, it, that in and of itself was an experiment too, and combining the audio and editing, editing that sort of like a radio piece, you know, with these, you know, with a, with a series of, I think about a hundred still images almost to pat, you know, to, to make three, three and a half minutes work, uh, on TV, because each image is basically up there for about, you know, I realized you can't really have it up for more than five to six seconds because people will just, you know, they've had enough. They want to see the next one. So, yeah, yeah. so there's, there's quite a lot of images in that three minutes or so, or almost four minutes. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, a lot of very quick work, uh, to get that piece out. Um, and, and, you know, as I say, get it out quick, but it, it all worked out. And I managed to just, I think, you know, I slept, I slept once it was 
done, um, yeah. you know, for, for properly. But uh, but it was it because you've got nowhere else to go. It's not it's not like you can go home and no. come back the next day. You're you're there with the material in the house. No, uh, and you're obsessed no. by it by this time. I'm sure. Obsession is the word, and and you know that that's yeah. you know that that's the that I think that's the key. You know, any photographer knows that you get you get locked in, you get tunnel vision, especially when you sort of you feel like mm, there's something good here. I think you know this is the the one in a million time where I'm kind of feeling good about this work, and that you know as yeah, a photographer yeah. doesn't happen that often. I think we're our own worst critics, you know, most of the time, which is good. We need to be, and this is one of the few times where you know. A lot of the time I was kicking myself as one always does. Oh, why did I bend down that low? Why didn't I just move yeah. over, you know, you know, half an yeah. inch to the left, you know, you know, like, oh, I didn't quite get the hand the way I wanted. As Everyone's going to know I didn't move half an inch to the <laughs> right. left. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's funny that, you know, yeah. you, you, when you brought up that, that sequence where I'm, I took the sequence at the end of the bed of the patient being turned over, and I remember seeing the, getting those negatives. And when I look at them now, I, you know, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm I have to say, I'm overall, I'm pleased that you know it's clear what's going on, and there's you know even yeah. some some yeah. nice emotion in the eyes of the doctor. But actually, of course, you know, when I was looking at those negatives first, that the, the next day or the next night. I was just kicking myself because I didn't feel I had quite the right angle. Like I was thinking, boy, you know, they, they told you, they gave you a few minutes notice. You know, you knew right yeah. where to stand and you still managed to not quite yeah. get the right angle on it. And that's, you know, so that's what was actually going through my mind, you know, kicking myself. So yeah, and, and, and the, you know, and the other thing to, that to keep in mind is that I had pitched this so, there were sort of two pitches that had to go on, as is always the case in, in the newsroom. There's a pitch to the outside, you know, to, so in this case, the hospital, the NHS. So yeah. I've got to get them on board. But there's another pitch going on after the NHS signed off on my approach or my piece, which was I then have to go to my editors and say, okay, here's the access I've got. And here's, and, and in this case, a, you know, a, a group of TV editors saying, yeah. so, and here, and here's the twists, guys. Um, I'm not shooting any video. I'm only shooting still photography. And, you, and, and, and so, and you can imagine the raised eyebrows of that, like, yeah. sort of like, hmm, okay, great that you're getting in the ICU, but how are we going to make this work for TV? You know, it sounds yeah. good for online and we can certainly make use of it for online, but how, how are you going to make a photo essay for TV? No one really knew. And I, and I'd be lying if I said I really knew. I just had some yeah. basic ideas of sort of video slideshows that, you know, I think, you know, I think especially 10 or 15 years ago, you'd see a lot of like on, on the Magnum website, you would see a lot yeah. of these video yeah. slideshows. I think they've sort of fallen out of fashion now, but it's something yeah. I always Good. liked. And, and sort the New of, York Times used to do a good one. I think it was an yeah. eyewitness. Or I was yeah, I yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah and, you lovely. know, you, you'd see these things a lot. It, you don't see them much anymore. And so that no, was kind no. of the only, the working model I had in mind. But I'd never, yeah. you know, I'd be lying if I'd said I'd done it for television before. I, you yeah. know, so I, so I was kind of making it up as I went along as well. And just sort of figuring, well, if I've got enough images and I've got half decent audio, I can put something together. But my editors were skeptical and they, they were like, well, good luck. Let's see what you get. I mean, we're happy to experiment. And, if, and it was, I think it was also sort of a, a benefit of the, of the sort of the crisis that we were in. The news was, was I don't want to say making it up as we went along, but we were changing the way we worked as well. And just yeah. like the rest of the world was. And so we were, we were experimenting in ways that we normally wouldn't have. So to come with my editors and say, I'm going to do a photo essay in black and white, shot on film for television, 
for the yeah. B, for for BBC News. If ever there was a time where there was going to be a receptive audience to that in the newsroom, it, it was then. Um, you know, normally I think people would have said, "Yeah, that's a bit too experimental, Chris. We're not going to go for that." There could have been a time, yeah, you know, kind of regular time where it could make or break your career. A decision like that, can it? Yeah. yeah, you hadn't long been at the BBC, mm-hmm. and if you don't deliver, well, you're you're the guy that didn't deliver. Yeah. That, or, well, yeah, yeah. In it, this case, I don't want to say you couldn't fail. But you were getting <laughs> it, you were getting access that yeah yeah uh, no one else was getting which is which is always a good start but uh, mm-hmm. the images are really really strong mm. thank you and yeah. it comes together as a good package but that that's what I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. that's saying as another photographer mm. how was it received uh, by when you delivered the packages to to the various clients within the BBC I was kind of biting my nails a bit thinking like geez I don't like I don't know like I think this is working yeah. and I I know I, I think I have some strong images but maybe this yeah. is too weird like maybe you know like and I think weird is almost the word like black and white where you hear some interviews yeah. but you don't really see anyone speaking like what and you know and I was also you know when I filed it you know I, I was half asleep <laughs> you know I was I hadn't really right. slept in three or four days so I sent it in and I was like, I, I think I've got something here, but I'm not really sure. And, and in instantly, it was just like, you know, people were feedback from my editors and colleagues, um, was, was really positive. And yeah. I think it was, I think it was really a question of timing. And I think because at that point, the media wasn't really getting access to these places and I managed to get in there, you know, managed to get in by virtue of the way I was producing the piece. And yeah. I think that was, as you said before, it was, it was a question of access. And, and in line with that, I would say it was a question of timing. So that it was kind of one of the first times we were seeing into those ICUs. Um, I think certainly in Scotland, but I think to be honest, beyond that as well. Um, because yeah. when I ended up sending that piece to, uh, friends and colleagues and family in Canada, they hadn't seen anything like that either right. in, in their local media. So to answer your question, the response was not only positive, it ended up being picked up by BBC programs and outlets way beyond, far beyond Scotland. Um, and, yeah, you know, go, yeah. going down south and, get, and getting a lot of play down south. And, um, and then beyond that was published, you know, I got a lot of requests and my editor got a lot of requests to have the, pu- the photos published in British newspapers. And, um, and even Leica camera, saw the photos and they put them up on their oh, website. Yeah. So if, you go, so if you go on the Leica website, you'll see those images there as being, having been produced by, with Leica lenses and Leica cameras. Right. And, yeah, um, I would emphasize that I don't think it's because of any particular exceptional single image or, or anything I did necessarily. It was just a question of when those images came out. You know, we were all at home. The world was at home because of coronavirus, but not many people had seen up close what that looked like in the hospitals. And it just happened to be one of the first documents to come out. People were seeing what that looked like. And I think that's what, what, you know, had people really, um, really taking a look at it and and sharing it around. I wonder, I'm now what, six, seven, eight months on from, from when you shot the images. I wonder how you how you view them now. Do you have you moved on from them? Are they in the back of your mind? Do you, mm. do you have a plan to to reassess them to to go back in and find other ones uh, and present them in a different way? Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's funny you say that because just last night I found myself um, 
well, going through these the images again, largely in, in preparation to, to speak with you. So it had been a while, I, I, as is often the case, you know, you, you, you do something, you know, when you're working in the media, you know, you do something and you put all your time and energy into it and then you, you know, you kind of put this little, you know, your your creation out into the world and then you and then you move on and then it's on to the next thing yeah. and you don't really yeah. pay much attention to it. And I had someone say recently, you have to be a mile wide and an inch thick. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to spread yeah. yourself really thin. Yeah, it, I, that's very well said. And and that was, you know, certainly the case with this, whereas, you know, I got it done and then it was just, you know, off to the next thing. You know, the, there was still there was still a pandemic to report on and and so I just I just kept going and and so it had been a, it had been a good while since I really looked at them properly and and was actually going through I actually got out my the negatives again and I was looking at some of them because I wanted to sort of reevaluate the actual negatives themselves and just sort of see them as I shot them and it had been a while since I'd really kind of just held them on the light box and was looking at them right. and um I I'm really sort of pleased overall with what was effectively an experiment the way it worked out and I think when the time is right, um, there's a lot of images that were not shown. And I think because maybe they were, it was a combination of being too graphic for the BBC and just sort of inappropriate. Okay. But I think as is often the case, you know, as time goes on, there may be curiosity to see some of those images and a willingness and, and with the right permissions from the individuals who are in those photos, you know, I think I would... I would welcome the opportunity to present them somewhere. You know, maybe I, I've contemplated an exhibit of some kind. I, I, I think everyone is pretty wary of coronavirus now, and I don't think yeah. you know people necessarily yeah. want to go see these photos. You know, printed as large as can be. You know, up on a wall. But you know, down the road when the time is right, I think as is you know almost a historical document. I think that I hope I hope the images will have some value uh, in that and I, th um, I think they absolutely will yeah I think I think you're right I think maybe we need a little bit of distance from these things mm -hmm. to uh, mm -hmm. you know maybe I don't, I don't know how many years five years ten years I, th I think yeah. they become yeah they be, they become an, an important yeah. document of, of what happened at the time but yeah um, and because indeed, I had a few colleagues saying to me when that when they first came out, they said like, you should, you know, you should put those up somewhere like, you know, and, and get those printed and, and put them up, which and then I was thinking, you know, if one were to use another national crisis as, as a reference for such a thing, you know, for photographic work. So let's say the Second World War, which is often what we're yeah. pointing to, to, to compare you know, the, the pandemic and lockdowns to. I can't really imagine in 1945 a photo yeah, exhibit, yeah. you know, of, of you know, yeah. photographers' war work going up and, and no. really having, a, like, lineups around the block for it, you know. So I think people just need, as you say, some time away. Space, but, when, yeah. but, you know, down the road, as you say, you know, maybe a decade from now, um, when, when people are, when we're sort of remembering this time and thinking, like, geez, was it really like that? Well, then maybe when people are asking that question, um, maybe it's time to, you know, show show the images you know blown up and and on on gallery walls somewhere to to look at them that way the other problem is of course that uh, no one's allowed to leave their house at the moment so <laughs> well, you can blow true. them up as light as you like and no one could come and see them that's true <laughs> by by default i'm gonna have to wait for <laughs> wait a while yeah, a to little, little present while them anywhere yeah, yeah yeah hopefully hopefully just a little while let's let's see yeah. but um yeah what a fantastic insight into how Christopher pulled this assignment together, especially when it came to negotiating that access to the ICU. And I need to say thanks again to Christopher for taking the time to talk. And we talked for another hour about his photo documentary work. 
Since we spoke, he has been back and spent another 12-hour shift with the same doctors and nurses in that intensive care unit. And you can see some of that work on his Instagram account, which I will link to in the show notes. You can visit my website, chrismcnulty.co.uk, or find me on Instagram. Photographers Talking is a papercamera.co.uk production. Please visit the website for podcast pinhole cameras and much more. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please like, subscribe, or share with a friend. And thanks for listening.